1: Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The offseason has officially begun for the Seattle Seahawks and other NFL teams who failed to make the playoffs. And it is time to dive into all of the different machinations that go into roster-building team building, coaching decisions, player decisions, and who better to come in and get a setup for that than Chris Clough, old friend of the show, former Seahawks beat writer and published Seahawks author, will join me today. We're going to break down how we can fix that defense. Is Pete Carroll's job really safe? Could there still be a move before the season starts? And if so, what kind of staff changes will we see from him? And we'll talk a little bit about the offense, his thoughts on Geno Smith, salary cap. How that can be managed, lots to get into. So let's do that. Chris Clough, up next today on Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever Podcast, in depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Vians. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you're uh, recovered from any watch parties you may have had for the national championship game last night. Um, interesting night on Twitter for me as a Coug alum and a Coug fan who, was, uh, who grew up here following the UW program and was rooting for them wholeheartedly last night. There were some raw nerves on Twitter last night, and uh, I rubbed some people the wrong way and not intending to, and so I had to put Twitter to bed last night. Um, <laughs> so anyway, hopefully you guys are recovered. What a great season for that team, and it was fun to watch a game that may have future Seahawks in it all sorts of pro prospects running around that field. Uh, old friend of the show, Michael Thompson and I were going back and forth on Twitter about some of the guys we liked. Um, Junior Colson, middle linebacker for the for the Wolverines. Just so many of the guys up front on both sides of the ball for both teams. And of course, the quarterbacks, J.J. McCarthy, Michael Penix. Lots of future NFL players running around that game. And, and, um, and now we enter into draft season as college football comes to an end. So we'll be Looking forward to the Senior Bowl. That'll be the next big one, and then the combine, and then the draft. We're going to get into that a little bit today um, with Chris Clough joining me in just a moment. Before then, if you're watching on YouTube, please like the uh, video, subscribe to the channel, uh, subscribe on any audio podcast platform you prefer. You can be a subscriber on Spotify for as little as 99 cents a month and listen to ad-free episodes. And if you want to support me in the show, buy me a coffee or a beer. And uh, thanks to Martin Todd Smith who bought me three beers the other day. I really appreciate the support. And actually, going to do a little bit of dry January from now until the end of the month. So I think I'll cash those in as coffees. Um, let's just let's just get right to it. Uh, Chris Clough has written two books on the history of the Seattle Seahawks. They are fantastic. You can find them both on Amazon. His name is spelled with a C, C-H-R-I-S-C-L-U-F-F, if you want to look for those. Uh, talking to ex-players and coaches, some just really great stories to be told about the those old days of the Seattle Seahawks. And then he covered the team for the Seattle Times for 10 years and still writes about them on a daily basis. And I always appreciated his insight. And then we were able to com- connect uh, a few years and a couple of different podcast names ago. And he's been a great regular contributor. So we have a lot of stuff to cover. Let's just get right to it. This is my interview earlier today with Chris Clough. As promised, welcome back into the show again. A one-time Seattle Times uh, longtime beat reporter covering the Seattle Seahawks and also has published a couple of books on the history of the team. Chris Clough, uh, Time Flies. We were just talking about that before I hit record. It's been longer than I thought it was. Uh, thanks for coming back on the show with me.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. It's been an Interesting uh, time coming up here.
1: Indeed and we were just touching on it um there are definitely two seasons you know the NFL has become renowned uh in this day and age for being 365 i think more so than any other any other uh sports league and it starts immediately for fans and and uh media but especially fans it seems like of our Seattle Seahawks that that the attention immediately turned to now what as it does in most markets but i think this one in particular because you know Pete Carroll 72 years old. It's going to turn 73 this year. The results on the field haven't met expectations for the fans recently, and we can talk about whether those expectations may have been a little bit unrealistic after a surprisingly good year last year. But in, in the, the 48 hours since they were eliminated from the playoffs on Sunday, all of the narrative seems to be that Pete Carroll is safe. He goes on his coach's show. He says he's positive about the future. He says a lot of the same things that we've heard before. And then he says he thinks this team is closer to the Super Bowl today than they were a year ago. Uh, Let's start with this. Just give me your general thoughts on where this organization stands, where this team kind of stands in their trajectory. And how do you feel about Pete Carroll's job status?
0: Well, I I feel like uh, it's hard to to, to know why he thinks they're – their uh, Super Bowl contender are closer than they were a year ago when their defense is just as terrible as ever uh, it, it's been this way for the last six years and he hasn't fixed it yet and he's been through a couple of different defensive coordinators and I'm guessing he's gonna if he's if he's if he does stick around like he wants to I'm guessing we'll have a new see a new, a new defensive coordinator sure as sounds well. like it but uh, as far as the as far as where this this, this franchise stands it's it's hard because the defense shows no sign of getting better. Uh, no, no matter what, they've made so many changes, Dan. They've brought in different coordinators, different players. They've they've uh, kind of tweaked their scheme. Uh, they've done so many different things to try to uh, you know create a functional defense, and yet here it is, a bottom three defense again. Yeah. So it, this is this is, to me, that is the big problem is how do you fix you've got to fix the defense. And I, I'm I'm feeling like Pete is just kind of run out of uh, of ideas and that, uh, you know, I'm, I, I would be totally fine if Jody Allen wanted to move on from Pete and, and, and start a new era of, you know, find a new coach and, and do that. But if, if Pete stays, you know, is there any way to have confidence he's going to fix it when he hasn't for six years?
1: I mean, that's the elephant in the room. That's the big question. I, I've come to a point where, and I've been saying it on the show now for a couple of months, that that I'm ready for a change. I think change would be the right move to make at this point. And as, as much affection as I have for Pete Carroll, the man and what he's done here for all the points that you mentioned. It, what's interesting to me is this, that right now in the NFL, that that those motors are turning and, and teams are making those moves. Black Monday is coming, and gone. And we only saw two head coaches let go yesterday, but today, Mike Frable, There still me still might be a couple of more more. The Seahawks do things differently though. Two years ago, coming off the seven win season, when they missed the playoffs, there was some reporting that Jody was thinking about some changes and everything kind of revolved around a meeting that was had a couple of weeks after the season. And then, you know, we know now that one of the dynamics of that meeting was Russell Wilson was pushing for some change and Jody kind of had to make a choice, but they don't, they're not knee jerk. They do things a little bit slower. Do you still think there's a chance that his job is being evaluated?
0: I feel like it is. I feel like they haven't, they haven't had the, their post-mortem meeting yet, you know, and I I don't think that that will happen uh, before Pete talks to the media today in, in his season wrap up. That'll be maybe later this week. Uh, it's, it's always usually a few days after the season or, or even maybe next week. But I'm guessing it's sometime this week, like Thursday, Friday, something. But uh, we'll, we'll see if anything comes out of that or if they, they maintain status quo and Jody Allen feels like she wants to give Pete one more chance and not have him go out on this sort of sour note uh, of not making the playoffs. So I feel like that's where i lean is that she will allow him to come back for another year and then if things don't improve drastically next year then then the change will be made um we've seen with his contract is technically goes through 2024 with the option for 2025 that just recently came out so uh so maybe that's kind of what what they'll do but there's also the chance that burt cold who is the one who runs the sports arm of Vulcan, uh, basically has has some say and some input. Uh, he was the one who, in 2009, he sort of kiboshed Mike Holmgren coming back. Yeah. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he created this lowball offer with no power that gave, uh, Holmgren, would, would have given Holmgren a title, but really not much else. And so Holmgren declined that, and really that's what they were hoping he would do anyway, and he, he went on to Cleveland. So Burt Cole was involved in that. Burt Cold may be involved here in, in, in uh, having uh, Jody Allen's ear about what to do with Pete Carroll. So th- it's I don't think it's totally resolved yet, and there may be some machinations going on uh, that way.
1: And interestingly enough, uh, in the postgame press conference on Sunday when Pete said he expects to be back and wants to be back, as Greg Bell reported, Burt Cole was sitting about eight feet away uh, from Pete when he, when he made those comments. Um, we'll see how that plays out. Do they run the risk of watching the parade pass them by if, if they drag their feet on this and take too long with some of the top candidates being interviewed or are some of the interview rules uh, kind of working in their favor here where they 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 can take a little bit of time because some of those guys won't be available
0: yeah I feel like if Dan Quinn for example is a guy that they are interested in potentially coming back the Cowboys obviously are in the playoffs so it would be uh, the timing of that I don't yeah. think would be a problem for them. But uh, but I don't think they're I don't think they'd be so so concerned about that. But uh, we'll see we'll see how it goes. We we need to wait and see what that what if anything comes out of that meeting that that John Schneider and Pete Carroll always have with Jody Allen, and if something different happens than what Pete Carroll is expecting.
1: You touched on it. Um, I would think that any scenario in which he's presenting a plan to Jody Allen and Burt Cole about. What he's going to do to, to get them to the next step would involve how to fix the defense, and that has to involve Clint Hurts' job status, and, and likely he'll be making a change there. Every defensive coordinator he's hired along the way since he's been here has in some form or another been an internal promotion. It doesn't seem like there's a guy like that on the staff currently, and so it, the consensus seems to be that the only way for him to fix this defense— would be to hire someone established or, or someone who has his own ideas about defense from outside the organization and, and give them some autonomy. Is Pete capable of doing that?
0: Well, he did bring in uh, Sean DeSai for a year and uh, from Chicago and and uh, to help with their secondary and and bring bring some new thoughts in, in that way they because they were moving toward the Vic Fangio style of defense yeah. and he was familiar with that so I I, I, th- I feel like he is open to new ideas that way but uh, yeah there is there's no obvious candidate for to be defensive coordinator and you're right they have basically gone internal, Chris Richard, Ken Norton, Clint Hurt. They've all been internal promotions just to further uh, Pete's philosophy on defense, but it's really failed. (laughs) It really has not worked, uh, you know, since Dan Quinn and and Gus Bradley uh, days, but those were also tied to the Legion of Boom talent. So, you know, you you, you have to look at kind of what, what are all the different things that play when you're looking at a defensive pointer? Does he have, does he have, what, what scheme are they going to run? Are they going to stick with this sort of 3-4 base that that nobody really likes and has been pretty much a failure? Or are they going to flip back to the 4-3 that Pete ran for so long that was pretty successful for most of the time? That's a big question right there.
1: Yeah. And I think that becomes even more intriguing in that the last few weeks of the year, there were some signs that they were kind of going back a little bit more to that in their base and, and playing Draymond Jones more as a defensive end and, and having more four down linemen. And it still didn't work. I think the results were worse the last two weeks. Um, how, what are your thoughts on Pete talked a lot in his coach's show on Monday about youth, chalked a lot of things up to youth that, kind of, I don't know, I, if you want to use the word excuses about missed assignments and things like that, and even some of the locker room behavior with the, the cigar cigar gate that has kind of got some people riled up the last couple of days and said, ah, that's just young guys being young. Um, and at the beginning of the season, it's hard to tell now because they added some guys that, that raises. this, but at the beginning of the season, the initial 53s, the Seahawks were the fifth youngest roster in the league. And, and we kept hearing that throughout the, the year, fifth youngest roster. Uh, the youngest roster in the league, belongs to the Green Bay Packers. And the third youngest roster in the league belongs to the LA Rams, both of whom improved as the season went along and go into the playoffs. Um is is youth one of the factors holding this defense back or is that just a hollow excuse?
0: Yeah, uh, I feel like Pete was kind of grasping at at things there to explain away if you look at it they just did not improve their defense did not improve throughout the whole season they they started out fairly well against the run in the first few games but then october november december even to the final game they were giving up 150 plus yards almost every single game on the ground and that's a that's a keep away style of, of game that keeps that keeps Geno Smith and the offense off the field, and yeah, the the, the offense had some some uh, injury issues that really kind of hindered it uh, for you know a lot of the middle chunk of the season. But I, I felt like Geno Smith played really well, and he made the most of a lot of his chances, and he obviously was very clutch. Which was a big question about him yeah. uh, coming in, you know, because uh, last year he his only clutch games where I think were both the Rams games. Whereas this year they, he had seven clutch, you know, fourth quarter, uh, you know, touchdown passes to take the lead, tie the game, whatever, you know, keep the Seahawks right where in the winning zone there. So give him more chances, help him out more. You know, uh, give him some, some interior offensive line blocking as well. And that offense, that offense is, is ready to go. It's the defense that needs to to, to, to be elevated to at least functional. It's not even functional it didn't, yeah. as we just talked about, didn't even improve for the entire entirety of this season. It did not improve.
1: And a lot of that regression happened after they acquired Leonard Williams, who was arguably their best defensive player. The second half of the season, after they got him at least top two, um, which is, you know, not encouraging. And, and to your point, uh, Seahawks finished 12th in the league this year in EPA per play on offense, but 28th in number or uh, points per drive. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting mixed up. Uh, 12th in the league in points drive, per yeah. drive, uh, but yeah. they only had 28 or they finished 28th in number of drives. I think you posted that the other day, um, which just points out, you know, the defense is not being able to get off the field.
0: Yeah. And they were ninth in points per play as right. well. So uh, they're they're high. They're top, they're a top ten scoring offense yeah. if you give them the opportunity to score.
1: I was just looking at that number before you hopped on, and that ninth in EPA per play, higher than the Rams, which of course uh, played a couple games without Matt Stafford, but higher than the Chiefs, Eagles, Texans with CJ Stroud, nearly tied with the Ravens, um, where Jackson's probably going to be the uh, the MVP this year. So uh, sneaky good offense. And we're going to talk about Geno in a moment. I want to stay on the defensive side of the ball though, because I want to talk about something positive. The last time you were on my show was right before the draft. And we talked a lot about whether or not the Seahawks might actually select a cornerback in the first round, something they had never done. Obviously they did. Devin Witherspoon might be the favorite for offensive rookie of the year. When you look back now, considering that the problems the Seahawks have had on defense against the run, the fact that Jalen Carter played well as a rookie for a while seemed to be the front runner for Defensive Player of the Year. Stayed out of trouble, didn't cause any problems. Was that still the right choice? Do so you think they still did the right thing by taking Witherspoon at five?
0: Yeah, I think Witherspoon is a great player. I think he's one of their top three defensive players. If you bring back Leonard Williams, if you don't bring back Leonard Williams, it's Witherspoon and Wosu. Uh, they really missed Houchin and Wosu when yeah. he got hurt. Uh, their pass rush really fell off after that. And uh, Mafe just couldn't play off him on the other side, but he just was gone. So there's nobody to play off for Mafe, and Mafe had that huge run of, of sacks and then just, you know, a, a cold stop, yeah. you know, to his, to his sack streak. But Witherspoon, every time he's out there, he's playing bigger than his size. He's, he's bringing like, uh, you know, mammoth hits. He's, he's a very instinctive player. He's fast. He chases down. He, he can, his closing speed is great. Uh, his instincts to get in there and uh, know where to go, where the ball's going to end up. Uh, this guy's only going to get better. And he's a, he's a great player. I feel like he was a great pick. And uh, I think, he, as you said, he could be defensive rookie of the year for sure. Um, the, the numbers kind of all support that. Uh, people are kind of arguing, arguing for that in certain ways. I, I don't get caught up in the awards and stuff. I'm more about like how do players fit into the team yeah. and, and what's his trajectory as a player and, and his trajectory. I mean, the sky is the limit for for Witherspoon, for sure.
1: Uh, Highest-rated defensive rookie by PFF, only defensive rookie to make the Pro Bowl. Um, it, it, one of my one of the things I enjoyed watching the most covering the draft and then and then seeing it translate to the NFL is when a guy takes what you see on tape in college and and does translate that to the program. And the things that we saw that excited us about Devin Witherspoon at Illinois, we saw those things on the field, you know, and just just that spirit and that spark that he adds to the defense. Uh, before we talk about the other side of the ball. Leonard Williams is going to be a big issue this offseason. They gave up a lot to get him, presumably with the idea that that he's a guy they've liked for years, really wanted, need in this program, that they're going to do everything they can to resign him. But Jordan Brooks also entering free agency, and until he got hurt at the end of the year, seemed to be playing even better, I think, than he was before he tore the ACL last year. Um, They've spoken at length about how badly they want him back, too, if you can only choose one. Which guy do you think is more crucial to bring back on that defense?
0: No, Leonard Williams, hands down. Hmm. It's, uh, for me, it's, it's about fortifying their the trenches, both sides. Yeah. So it, it, that, uh, as anybody who's ever watched football knows, it's, it's one at the line of scrimmage. Absolutely at the line of scrimmage every single time. If you have an offensive line, a defensive line, and a quarterback, it doesn't matter what your skilled players are. You can have weak corners, whatever. If you're, if you're super strong up front and you can dominate the line of scrimmage on both sides, you'll win most of your games and most of your playoff games. So Leonard Williams easily over over Jordan Brooks, who if, if they want him back, that's fine. But there's a reason they didn't pick up his option, which would have been, I think, like $12 million. He's not worth that. So you you, you need to see what let him see what his market is. And if, if he's affordable to you in the way that you want to pay him, that's fine. Leonard Williams, on the other hand, he he's also going to see what his market is. He's he's going where whoever pays him the most money. I guarantee that's where Leonard Williams is going. He's not. He has no loyalty to the to Seattle. Yeah. He was traded here, so he didn't choose to come here. And he'll he will he will pick whoever is paying him the most money. And r- right now he's in the twenty million zone right per year. So that's probably what the Seahawks are going to have to pony up if they want to keep him and uh, bring him back and not have that second round pick basically be a waste. Uh, on the, on the trade, kind of like the Sheldon Richardson deal turned out to be.
1: Let's talk about offense. We knew when Gino signed his deal last year, that there would be questions this offseason season um, based on how he performed because the, the contract had so much flexibility to it and uh, it, an easy out. If, you know, considering that you think a $17 million dead cap hit is easy, but, but something that, that they weren't hamstrung by if he didn't live up to expectations. Um we, we face some decisions now in this offseason for him. He failed to meet some some of his incentives. That helps the club uh, because he didn't match or exceed some of his numbers from last year. But just in a big picture sense, how do you feel about Geno Smith now, his performance this year uh, versus maybe how you felt going into the season?
0: Uh, well, Geno said the other day, he said he felt like he improved this year and uh, had a full year of starting uh, for Seattle under his belt and, and really was able to Become a better leader. Uh, he had better pocket awareness, things like that. I mean, there are some throws that he made were just incredible. I mean, the, the throw to Tyler Lockett to win the game the other day, uh, incredible throw. He, he, he really, he, he, and those cl- Like I said earlier, the clutch plays that he made yeah. in the fourth quarter of a lot of games this year. I mean, they they won what five games in the last minute, and or last two minutes, and uh, they were they were they were barely. It was hard for this team to win. But Gino did everything he could to help them win. Yeah, and I feel like he is. Uh, if you just surround him with the right guys, you need a, he need, needs to help interior interior offensive linemen. They really have problems there. They they need to get that a for the running game. If you can just create a little more balance, uh, so th- there's not so much pressure on Gino in some of these games. Uh, get that running game going. The running game was just dismally disappointing this year and and you really need to get that going I, I fully agree with Pete Carroll when he says that whether he's the coach or not they got to do that and just help Gino out that way help him out on the defensive side get a functional defense that can get off the field that's not get, that's not just giving up you know 150 200 rushing yards every every game and and uh, the offense is uh, off the field the Seahawks offense is off the field because the defense just can't stop the other team so give give him some help on both sides and Gino has the supporting cast which he does on offense for the mm-hmm. most part other than interior blocking He's he's solid. He's good. They can actually win playoff games with him if they had a defense that was capable of doing that as well.
1: I'd love to see him get the chance sometime. That's been my argument uh the last, you know, few weeks. There are some people that just have decided Gino is not a good quarterback and you're not going to be able to change their minds. And they might point to numbers to do that cuz some of his numbers this year were down from a year ago. Granted he missed a couple of games. But to me it's the eye test and and just when he drops back to throw and he has time to throw, how confident do you feel that by the time the TV camera catches up to where it's going, that it's going to the right place. And, and I think something happened in the second half of this season. Uh, Cause I didn't think he performed very well early on, especially that Cincinnati game still stands out to me as just kind of perplexing. And he was so, yep. he just missed so many things in that game. I don't know what he was seeing, yep. but his worst game. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it turns out costing us a playoff berth. Um, but just the eye test to me, the second half of the season, I think there were times he was the best player on the field for us and and the only player who was giving us a chance to win when, as you noted, the opposing team knew that that's the only way the Seahawks could win or beat them was throwing the football with Geno and yet he was able to do it. His contract is interesting in that there's a, a deadline coming up on February 16th, I believe, where if he's on the roster... His twelve point seven million dollars salary from next year does it become fully guaranteed at that point, or does it just lock in at that number? Um, but that's that's what people have pointed to with the out that they have. If they wanna if they wanted to cut or trade him before the sixteenth, they'd be off the hook for that twelve point seven million. But to me, when we talk about the salary cap issues that this team faces, because they essentially have none when you just look at the charts, but they have a lot of avenues that they can use to get. To cap space to me the easiest one based on his performance and the confidence they have in him is redoing his deal again do you see that as a possibility
0: yeah i mean that's that, that's i personally don't think that his contract is a problem uh for t- 2024 i don't think anything needs to be done with it I, I think people like to first of all the question i would ask anybody who, who starts complaining about uh, geno smith's contract or tyler lockett's contract what are you planning to replace them with or what what are you using the money that you're supposedly going to get by cutting tyler lockett or by re redoing gino what are you doing what what do you what do you expect to buy so have a plan i think
1: i think most people are concerned about williams brooks and just bringing those guys back
0: right so here's where they get that money they get that money from jamal adams they can get that. They yeah. get that money from Will Disley. They get that money from Brian Monet, and they can they can also cut Quandre Diggs, who I personally don't think adds much to this defense anymore either. So there's a whole bunch of money right there. That's yeah. they can get up to. I, I did a quick little calc uh, the other night. They can get up to like 38 million dollars with the rollover that they have mm-hmm. coming from uh, 2023 20, to 24. They they can have 38 million dollars, and granted, about 10 million of that has to be reserved for this, that, and the other thing. You know, draft, etc. Sure, but that's still 28 million dollars to spend on veterans so they they can do a lot without doing anything to geno's contract or, and not not bumping or cutting tyler lockett or whatever I, uh, I, I just i know you didn't ask about lockett but i i'm kind of on this because i was gonna last year <laughs> wanted a third receiver. Like they were clamoring. Like mm-hmm. most of the fan base was clamoring for a third receiver. Right. So they draft JSN, so they have three three receivers. They have one of the best receiver rooms in the NFL, like top 5 receiver room in the NFL. And now because Tyler Lockett, like he always does, he's kind of ebb and flow, right? Some game yeah. some games are great. Some games you know, he has like four catches for 40 yards. So that that's kind of always been Tyler Lockett, but he's he's pretty steady, Eddie. And you have three great receivers. He just showed again how good he can be. Yeah. He caught the winning touchdown and the two point conversion yep. to beat Arizona. He he is still a very capable wide receiver. So why would you get rid of that guy and then go back to only having two receivers again? <laughs> right. You know? All these people who were complaining last year. So I don't see that one, and I don't I don't think they need to do that. And if Pete's the coach, he won't want to do that. He just yeah. he bragged up Tyler Lockett so much uh, the other day.
1: Yeah. And I, 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 you make a good point. I played with those calculators too. And it's, it's pretty easy to get to those numbers. And, and I guess the other possibility is because that 12.7 to to Gino is not guaranteed. Uh, they could do an easy bonus conversion if they wanted to there, uh, depending on where their cash situation is. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I, I did think this was interesting though, because there are still people, uh, a, a big portion of the fan base uh, looks at that that mid first round draft pick and they look at the fact that this is shaping up to be uh maybe the best early round QB class in quite some time could get even better if JJ McCarthy declares and they want a quarterback despite how Gino has played uh Colin Coward went on Seattle Sports 710 yesterday and I, I don't know if you heard his interview he was brought on mostly to talk about the national championship game uh, but he was asked about the Seahawks, too. And he said, uh, love the roster, love the coach, love the organization. All they need is a quarterback. If Josh Allen was on that team, they would be the best team in the league. Um, what is it about just the last thing? I, I didn't mean to, to, to really belabor the point on you. What is it about him that that some people just find so hard to buy into?
0: Uh, I'm sorry about about Gino.
1: About, oh, about why Gino. is it that some people just don't buy what he's doing on the field?
0: Because uh, he was a longtime backup and uh, he, he's not he's, he's not one of those guys who's had a lot of success. So people, I think, kind of just look at his priors, you know, and just think that uh, he's, he's only going to be a backup ever or a, a middling middling starter at best. He can't win playoff games. And. I, I agree that uh, he, he he might not always be able to elevate the team, but I think this this last season, it, despite their failures in other ways, he showed that he can be clutch, and that was one of the things I wanted to see from him was can, can Geno Smith be a clutch quarterback? Yeah. and he really was in a lot of in a lot of games uh, the, the games that they won all time so- record. Yeah, there you go. Exactly.
1: Should have had a six. If Jason Myers makes that field goal in L.A., it's six game winning drives. And, you know, I think this is funny, too. How different would the narrative be right now if Jason Myers makes that field goal? Because then the L.A. Rams are out and uh, all the praise they've gotten for exceeding expectations and the the Seahawks are in instead. It's amazing what one one play can do.
0: Yeah, I mean, I look I look at it both ways. Uh, Pete was talking about how uh, we should have three more wins and I look at it and say, well, you also won six games by six right. points or less. Right. So you, you can go either way with that. And, and in the end, you probably were exactly what you should be, mm-hmm. an eight or nine win team. Uh, you, you played a lot of close games. You won some, you lost some, and you, you had a couple of blowouts on either side as well. And that that's kind of a standard, you know, 500 team right there yeah. doing doing that kind of thing. So if you have a better defense, they do win a lot of those games that Pete thinks they should have won. But yeah. I think he overrates what what the, what the how good his defense should have been, and and some of that is I'd say a lot of that is coaching. I think a lot of it just boils down to those poor, poorly coached defense, just a poorly coached defense, and that's why Clint Hurt won't be back. But as far as Geno goes, he, I like I said, if you just surround him with a few better pieces, he's solid. He's good, and you don't need Josh Allen and Colin Cowherd. I don't know what he's talking about. You know, I, I never know what he's talking about,
1: frankly. It was such a weird comment. Um, I, cause I know he watches games anyway. Uh, so you mentioned trenches. Um, you're probably like me. I know you and I really love getting into the draft. We'll have you back on the show right before the draft. That's become an annual tradition, uh, in your early look at the draft and based on some things you've already said, if you're sitting there at 16, regardless of whether you're going to trade back or whatever, are you, you're, you're hunting, you're hunting big guys, aren't you?
0: Yeah, I I, I would I I'd be fine if they find the quarterback. I know a lot of people want Penix from you Dub. If he's late first or or high second, uh, they they want him to look at they want them to look at him. If there's a quarterback that they like, uh, at 16 you're in a pretty good spot because you can go up, you can go down. Yeah. So John Schneider has the you know the ability, and he typically. And then when he's in the middle, he typically has moved. He hasn't stayed in that middle zone. He's either gone up or gone down. So, and now granted, they haven't been in the middle a lot. They've usually been at the bottom. And these last couple of years, they've been at the top, which has been great because you get some impact players there. So this will be an interesting draft that way of which way do they go based on who's there. But I would totally, if it's not a quarterback, you absolutely should try to get, Fortify your lines, whether it's the interior, if there's a great guard there. And, I, and, and to just full disclosure, I haven't looked closely at all the, yeah. what the kind of where everybody ranks in the pecking order for the, for this draft yet. But I would just say as far as positional, uh, you know, needs go. Yeah, let's, let's look at the
1: trenches for sure. And there might be a glaring one uh, come April. How concerned are you about what's going on with Abe Lucas? You know, they said early in the season that knee, there was nothing structural. They couldn't fix it surgically. They tried the injection. That didn't work. Maybe a good offseason gets him back. But but if it, it just feels ominous. It feels like something that might be degenerative and that, that right tackle suddenly becomes a massive need.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because I was just talking about that the other day with somebody about... I feel like Abe Lucas's career might be in jeopardy based on the way it's been presented to us and, the, and yeah. the things that Pete has said about it, and that would be a real shame because he was so promising as a rookie and just had a, just a horrible time this year. Let's all fingers crossed, you know, hope that he is able to. Uh, overcome the injury and have some good rehab time and just rest it up and get it, get it back to full strength. We'll, we'll see We we're, you know, it's unclear what exactly is causing, is causing the problems for him. So uh, we'll probably find out more in the off season, a little bit about that. Uh, maybe John Schneider will shed some light on that uh, when he, whenever he uh, talks, uh, talks to people, uh, although he doesn't like to, he doesn't like to do a lot of details, but right. every once in a while, he lets something out about, about the kind of gives you an idea yeah. of which way they're going. Uh, so, so maybe we'll hear something about that. But, yeah, I, Lucas definitely is a concern and r- the right side of their offensive line. I mean, Bradford at guard – you know, he's a road grader, but man, he has some troubles in pass protection. Yeah. He just, he just, just, well, I watched him a lot in this last game because I was very curious to see how he was working with the other guys. So I would focus on him on a lot of the plays for a little, a couple drives and just f- trying to figure out where he was going. He was seemed unsure. Like, should I help this guy over here? Yeah. Or, Like, where should I be? So, but he's a rookie, so he, he might still work, work that out. But he's such a big guy, I think pass pro is always going to be a problem there for him. So I think they're going to need to try to upgrade right guard, and they'll have to they'll have to come up with a another um, option at right tackle uh, if they're if they're not comfortable with with uh, four side the guys that they have. So yeah. uh, obviously Jason Peters not doesn't seem like he's he's much of a long term option at age forty or yeah. forty one whatever he is. So yeah, I, I feel like their offensive line needs to be. Needs some more focus again this year, unfortunately.
1: Uh, final question: Is this a 2024, regardless of what happens with the rest of the coaching staff? But is, if Pete stays, is it a make or break season for him?
0: I feel like this: if he stays, which he probably will, if he, if he's back, they they need to. He needs he needs to create a create a defense that can can complement his offense. They they have enough on offense to to get to the playoffs and actually win playoff games, and he, he needs to. It's been six years now, yeah. so there's it's fading hopes here about Pete Carroll's ability now to to field a defense that's playoff caliber. So yeah, I I feel like 2024 will be the end if if they can't if he, if he can't fix that and and turn them into something. Uh, uh, it's competitive that, that is, is a playoff team that can win playoff games, not just get to the playoffs because he only has one playoff win in the last six or seven years. Yeah. That's, that's not good enough. That is definitely not good enough. And that, that's why I think you and I, and, and a lot of people are, uh, have kind of seen enough of Pete Carroll now, but maybe Jody Allen hasn't. So now we'll see.
1: Yeah. Uh, that is Chris Clough. If you want this kind of insight, you can follow him on Twitter. Uh, give him your handle, Chris, let them know where they can find your stuff.
0: Yeah. Uh, Seahawk talk. Uh, and, and I'm also at seahawktalk.com throwing out a few blog items and, uh, and, uh, complimenting the things you do, Dan.
1: No, nah, thank you, sir. Always love having you on the show and we'll, uh, we'll do our pre-draft, uh, hookup again as we do every year. Uh, I look forward to that. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. We'll talk to you then. Thanks, Dan. Good stuff as always from Chris. Really appreciate that. Um, Give me your comments on the YouTube channel. What do you think about what he had to say? What are your biggest concerns about this offseason? And actually, let me ask this a different way, because the big problems keep getting talked about. We touched on them today. But is there anything we didn't talk about today that you're concerned about, or that you like, that you think this team can build around, or an approach you'd like to see them take this offseason that maybe isn't being discussed? Also, assuming that Clint Hurt is let go in the coming days, who are some of the favorites that you might have to come in as defensive coordinator, assuming Pete has to go outside the organization? Always love your feedback. Hit me here in the comments, or you can hit me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. I am Dan Viennes. Thank you so much for watching the show. I will be back tomorrow with Corbin Smith of all Seahawks and Locked On Seahawks, uh, a credentialed, full-time reporter for the Seahawks who is in the locker rooms, on the field in those press conferences. We will get his um we'll get his insight from the sidelines about what he saw from this team and how far away he thinks they might be from being able to turn this thing around. Corbin Smith coming up tomorrow and then John Gilbert's going to be here to talk salary cap with me on Thursday. So lots to get to and a lot more after that that I'm not even going to tease yet. We're just going to make you wait. Thanks again for watching the show. I am Dan Vian. Forever and always, go Hawks.